What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabagi. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. Welcome back. Today we're talking about M20, Corset 2020. Our first like real topical, (laughs) live-ish set review. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, we missed the ball on Modern Horizons, but we might actually go through it and do that one if people are interested. The more I think about it, though, there was a lot of shit there. Yeah, it's taken a while. The problem I have is just that there really is just so much to cover, and Modern is not our main format, so it'd be an interesting angle that we could take for it, but it's just not necessarily our jam. Yeah, and I guess the corsets are a good way to jump in for anybody playing, so it's fitting that we just jump in right here. But first, let's jump into the beers. Oh, Beautiful. yeah. So I'm rocking the Grand Teton 208. It's an Idaho beer. It's a session ale, 100% Idaho ingredients. And this is brewed in Victor, Idaho, which is not too far away from where we grew up in Idaho Falls. And literally a hop, skip, and a jump away from the Tetons. Yeah, just like right behind yeah. the Tetons on the Idaho side. Aren't yeah, the actually, Tetons featured on the can? Oh, oh, yeah. So I've actually had this one before. Go figure. Idaho beer. <laughs> Weird. And it's just a classic. Like yeah, You talk about Session Ales, and we've talked about it on another episode, but you guys probably won't see that one for a little bit. But the idea is that a Session beer is something that you can drink in one session it's not going to be super high alcohol content it's just going to be like an easy drinking beer but like there's nothing really special about this beer but there's also nothing bad about it yeah, it's, it's just it's very crushable so it's got good. like a light hop taste right at the front of it and then it kind of dissolves into a very just malty body and kind of finishes i wouldn't necessarily say weak but like it is a an ale so it does have a bit more of a hop characteristic to it yeah you know but the malt body is very pleasant it's enjoyable and absolutely sessionable all right so I'm drinking the Schoferhofer. Uh, this is an import. It's a Hefeweizen grapefruit beer. It is Hefeweizen that they've brewed, and then they've mixed 50-50 with grapefruit juice. That's why it's um, so good. Low ABV, I think somewhere between 2.5. I think that the actual label says that it's less than 3.2% by volume. So very light. Again, going to be an easy drinker. It reminds me of a shandy. Yeah, which is basically what it is. It's that is perfectly, perfectly describes what it is. It's a little tart, but it's really crisp. Ooh. Yeah, it's not like super sour like a normal grapefruit. So the the juice definitely mellows out with the beer very nicely. It's, honestly, like people would call it a bitch beer if they didn't understand. You know, I get that no all the thing. time. My girlfriend who got these <laughs> says like, "Hey, Corey, I got you some bitch beers," <laughs> but but they're good. But if you're a grapefruit fan, I think that has. Everything about a grapefruit that grapefruit fans like. It's got that like cranberry bitterness kind of thing going on, uh, which is actually pretty good with a beer. Yeah, yeah it's nice. If you like grapefruit, definitely try this one out. If you don't, honestly, if you like citrusy it's just beers citrus be- or citrus shandies beer, at all, yeah. then this is definitely something that you should check out. If you want something that's just a nice, easy summer drinking beer, yeah, and it looks beautiful. Go-to. Yeah, it's got a really nice color to it. It's like a mango color. And it's not clear, but it's also not hazy. Just kind it's of definitely uh, an unfiltered. One. Yeah. All right. The beer I've got today is the Tahoe beer. Uh, their slogan is "Famous as the Lake," and it's just a classic blonde ale. 
So I actually picked this one up when I was in Lake Tahoe a couple months ago. And I guess there was a brewery that used Lake Tahoe water in California, but it shut down in like the 80s or something. And then these guys started it back up on the Nevada side of Lake Tahoe, but they still use the Lake Tahoe water to brew it and everything. Nice. But so they got the trademark for that beer. So it's the exact same beer. It's just brewed on the Nevada side now. So this one's 5.5%. Um, we don't have an IBU on it, but that's okay. Man, how do you, how do you feel about that? It's just kind of, I mean, I mean, it's kind of a classic blonde ale. It's very malty. There's not a whole lot of bitterness, but yeah. it's also not sweet. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Thirst quenching? It's crushable. crisp and clear. Yeah, crushable. I think all of these beers would definitely be in the crushable. Yeah, these are definitely just some summer, just chilling beers. Like nothing too crazy. Honestly, what I want on a standard beer is either a lemon wedge or a bit of orange, something in there. Just give me a little bit more. Because it doesn't have any sweetness or tartness. It's just kind of a, I don't want to call it flat because that kind of has the wrong connotation, but it's just kind of a a mellow. That's what I was going to use. Yeah, it's mellow. I agree. Not bad, but not exceptionally good straight yeah. out of the can. A little lemon wedge, yeah. You pet this boy up. So, on to the main topic. M20. M2020. We've got a, we've got a lot Mad of cards dog. here. Uh, and obviously, <laughs> this this podcast isn't just about Commander or Limited. Um, no, right. We, we kind of cover everything a little bit, so we're going to break it down into sections, right? Right. We just want to give our quick thoughts on the upcoming set, talk about the cards that we personally are most excited yeah. for. Um but first, we kind of got to talk about the general hype, looking at the power level of the set. How does this match up to recent years, recent sets? For me, I'm comparing this to War of Spark, Gil's Ravnica, that sort of thing. Um, and more specifically, I'm comparing this to last year's core set. I think last year's core set, because that was the year that they brought corsets back, right? Yep. So I think they kind of just took it easy on that set. Like, it was fun. It was definitely like the premium core set in that it was made for beginners. Like, all of yeah. the keywords had all yeah, of the explanations. Yeah, they brought back some, some good, some, fun mechanics. Yeah, old mechanics that were, were brought back. Um, but it was a very simplistic set. There wasn't yeah. like Is that the idea behind Corsets? Yeah, yeah Corsets is like, sort of like a jumping on point. That makes sense. Which is why... And also, it's good filler for standard. Yeah, I think this one is better than last year, but War of the Spark, man, it was just too hype. Yeah, I do think that it does have the higher power level compared to last year, but... I think Corey's right that War of the Spark did come out. I mean, 37 Planeswalkers, including yeah. the Biobox promo. And just like the Ravnica block, just like bringing back Shocklands mm-hmm. and so much good stuff. There's definitely a lot of good, fun stuff in the set, but I don't think it matches up to the Ravnica block. And yeah. that's okay. That's totally fine. Definitely agree there, especially since the Ravnica block. Well, for one, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance were both able to focus on two color pairs a lot yeah. stronger than what a Corset is able to. Yeah, that's And fair. we'll see that as we're going forward here. Just looking at the archetypes, in the set, they're not as well hashed out, and some of them are kind of lacking. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think the Ravnica block would have been a good. Well, the first two sets in the Ravnica block would have been a good jumping on point because it is just two colors, just focus on those. Yeah. But I don't think War of the Spark would have been a good set because people no. jumping in, War not knowing what Planeswalkers were. Yeah. yeah, War of the Spark was for the fans. Yeah, and I think that that's something so that awesome. <laughs> was very much like integral to War of Spark was just making sure that those who had followed the the Gatewatch saga for the past three years or whatever, people, exactly, the people who are invested in the story and just in the gameplay got to see kind of the way that it was finishing. It also allows Wizards to open up and kind of start fresh here with Core 20. Yeah, I think it's 
definitely an improvement over the last year's core. And I think knowing that that's kind of where they're going with sort of introductory sets, hopefully that means they're going in the right direction and kind of upping it just a little bit each year. So comparing that to recent sets, all well and good, but let's get more into what the cards want to do, what the archetypes are. Um, But as we're getting into that, this episode is going to be released right before pre-release. We want to make sure that we're encouraging everyone to go to pre-release. We have an episode on pre-release, kind of how to build a deck from a pre-release kit. Uh, It's going to be a little bit different in that it was from Ravnica, so it was going to be one of the guild kits, so it's going to be heavily influenced by that. And the ones that you're going to see are going to be a lot more open-ended. Again, it's the same idea. It's going to be a sealed kit, so build from your sealed pool. And if nothing else, just go check out our sealed episode, uh, and that'll be really helpful. It'll just give you all of the basics of what you need to do for sealed, um, what's going to help you build a strong deck, what's going to help you build a consistent deck. Um, And also we threw in some sideboard tips in there just to kind of help you as the games progress. Yeah, and like all of us love going to pre-release, so if you've never been to a pre-release before, this is a good one to go. So just check that episode out and then just hop right in. Absolutely. All right, so we're looking at the archetypes of this set. We have all of the color pairs that are more or less represented. We've got white-black life gain, uh, blue-white flyers or blue-white skies. That one seems to be a very strong archetype in this, a lot of support for it. Um, We've got white-green, which kind of has two different things. We've got this go-wide strategy and also like this really heavy emphasis on auras, primarily in white, but green has definite support for it. We've also got the white red weenie slash go wide kind of strategy. White white and green has some token stuff, but the white red go wide strategy looks like it's going to be a decent way to pull white into the more aggressive instead of defensive side. Um, and then we've got blue black control slash draw, which <laughs> sounds fun. Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it draw, good. <laughs> draw is going to be in the control. Drawing cards is part of the control strategy, but there seems to be a more heavy emphasis this time around on just drawing cards and getting the value off of it. Uh, so I wanted to throw that in there. And then there's also a lot of black and green graveyard recursion. That classic Golgari shit. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> that's one of the ones that's not like heavily influencing this set, but you definitely see the synergies there. There's also a cool uh, black-red aggro deck with that sacrifice sub-theme. Yeah, it's, again, very light. Like They've got Active Treason, which allows you to take one of your opponent's creatures. Um, and with the cards that allow you to sacrifice creatures... You know, you just have that synergy of just making sure that your active trees and act as removal as well. And then there's also my jam, which is just elementals. Yeah, we've got teamer elementals, and that's broken down into three different groups. Yeah, there's blue-green, blue-red, with a little bit of spell slinging on the side. And then there's just red-green, straight just up, aggro gruel elementals, all of which I can get down with. So, talking about pre-release, hyping it up a little bit here. Corey, what are you looking forward to? So all of us came up with a list of cards that we're looking forward to in in a bunch of different categories. And right now, these are ones that we want to play. We're looking forward to playing at pre-release specifically. So I didn't really put these in any order. I just put some good cards that I thought would be a lot of fun. So one of my cards is Knight of Eben Legion. Eben Legion. And it's just a one drop, one, two. I'm down to run that anyways. But then it's, it's a one, two... Vampire Knight for a, a black. It's got two and a black. Knight of Eben Legion. Eben Legion gets plus three, plus three, and gains death touch until end of turn. So it becomes a four, five? Four, five, death touch. Hell yeah. And then it also has a thing. At the beginning of your end step, if a player lost four or more life this turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Knight of Eben Legion. Yeah, so you swing with Knight of Eben Legion. 
and it gets the counter on it because it's going to be really difficult for your opponent to say, I'm going to block this because you have that onboard pump effect. Yeah. And I don't so, believe that that pump effect is actually restricted to once per turn. So you could dish that out. Oh, yeah. 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 It's just a mana sink late game too. Which, absolutely valuable. Yeah. And that's, I think, why I put this card on here because it's, it's a one drop. So it's going to come down and then just sit there for a while. If you get some incidental burn or damage in, if it's at least four, you can start getting counters. And then once you get three mana, you can start pumping him really, really big. And nobody wants to swing into a four or five death touch. Death touch. And yeah, this will always trade if you're looking for it. And it's just something that your opponents have to watch out for. Yeah, it's just really good early game, middle game, and late game. This card is also on my list. It's Yeah, I think this one is going to take people by surprise. So another card that I put is Shifting Ceratops. And I like dinosaurs, but this one especially. <laughs> yeah, this one's tight. I like green, big green cards. And it's a 5-4 dinosaur for two green green. This spell can't be countered. Awesome. Protection from blue. Even better. <laughs> There's some blue hate. And this is one of the better blue hate cards. And then the best thing about it is you pay a green. Shifting Ceratops gains your choice of reach, trample, or haste until end of turn. So for five mana, you can swing with this on turn five, assuming. Yeah. It's a 5-4 four for four, but it's a 5-4 with haste for five. And it's only one mana to gain those keywords, so potentially you could do all three. Yeah. Uh, it's very good on defense. Yeah, it it's just a very versatile card. Yeah, a lot going for it. And it's super anti-blue. Because of the reach, you can just smack all those blue flyers out. Yeah, that one. this one's on my list as well. And then another card I put was God's Willing. So I, I used to have a one-punch man deck, and this was card in there. But to me, it's just flavor because they brought back protection from a color in this set. And it's just a mono white for an instant. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until the end of turn. And then scry one. So it's just a really good combat trick. I, I just love protection. It's one of those things that tends to come out of nowhere the first time. Yeah, like, you're not damn expecting it. protection. Like yeah. you expect a pump, but protection now. So another card I put is Sky Knight Vanguard. So we talked about this card a little bit at the top of the show when we mentioned Boros sort of aggro white weenie deck archetypes. And then it's just red and white for a 1-2 human knight with flying. And whenever it attacks, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token that's tapped and attacking. So it's basically two power for two flying, but you can repeat it every turn and just keep making tokens. Yep. And it's over two bodies, which is nice. Yeah. Spreads it out. And you're usually going to get the flyer through and blocking a token every turn can just wear him down after a while. And if you're in red, then blocking a token is dangerous because then your burn spells just hit that much harder. Yeah. And then my it's probably my number one card. <laughs> I, I put it in the number one set. I saw this girl. Or in the number one spot. But she's just amazing. This is Chandra Awakened Inferno. This one's the mythic. This one's the, the mythic three. one. It's four red red for a six loyalty planeswalker Chandra. This spell can't be countered. God damn. <laughs> Plus two, each opponent gets an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep, this emblem deals one damage to you. Minus three, Chandra Awakened Inferno deals three damage to each non-elemental creature, mini board wipe. And then minus X, it deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker. If it a permanent dealt damage this way, would die this turn, exile it instead. So I think we're going to be talking about this card all throughout the episode because she's just... Really good. She's really good all around. Yeah, she's definitely one of the best cards in the set. Um... The fact that her emblem is a plus 
and not an ultimate is a really big deal. You can stack those bitches yeah, several th- times. I think it'd be difficult to have it as an ultimate, but I'm surprised it's not a minus ability. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I put this one in this list specifically for pre-release. I If I got one and ran it, I just would want to see how many emblems I could stack. <laughs> just yeah. plussing it over and over and That's over. The thing is that she's emblem. insane as a f- finisher. So oh, yeah. Whether yeah. you're, you know, blue-red control or something along those lines, like, you get her out, she can't be countered, and yeah, she's if safe. she's out for, for two turns and she gets those plus ones, then your opponent has an insane clock on them plus whatever else you have. Yeah, because just having that mini board wipe too, even if you're not running elementals, is doing damage to everything. Okay, Drew, what cards did you put? So the first one I have on the list is Unholy Indenture. It's two and a black for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature, when enchanted creature dies, return that card to the battlefield under your control when a plus one plus one counter on it. So the reason why I have this one on my list is because there's been a few of these in the past year or so, back to, I think, Dominaria, um, whether it's an instant speed effect or uh, an enchantment itself, and I've been undervaluing them for a long time. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't until War of the Spark that I actually saw the value of these spells and the fact that you get your creature back with a plus one, plus one counter. I mean, if you have any bomb, you should run this card just because you get your bomb a second time. And if it has an ETB effect or whatever, it gets that much better. And yeah, I think anytime one, you can protect your creature for three mana like that, it's just it's going to be value. I think one of the best parts about this is that you can you can use on other people's creatures too because it's just enchant creature when it dies, return it to the battlefield under your yeah. control. So the next one on my list is Knight of the Ebon Legion. This one that Corey had on his. Uh, like I'm excited just to play this card in general. Uh, I'm excited specifically to see how it does in the EDH scene. Yeah, um, a one drop that's in Markov or something like that just gets that much value and the fact that you get those plus one plus one counters this thing becomes a real threat even in edh very quickly oh yeah it's a lot easier to shoot people for 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 more damage in edh the next one on my list we've got audacious thief so i love effects like this and this one just gets me really excited so it's two and a black for creature human rogue uh it's a two two and whenever audacious thief attacks you draw a card and you lose one life oh yeah so in sealed this card i think honestly it's a bomb yeah this card is insane value you're going to be want to attack anyways so that's part of your game plan regardless and the fact that you're just going to continue to get value off of drawing cards your opponent needs to block this yeah and if you can trade up with it great you know if you just trade in general you're still getting card and losing a life yeah this definitely goes into the rakdos aggro deck to swing it as many goes times. into every black deck. yeah that's true <laughs> like every it's deck a phyrexian arena on a creature yeah i always play those cards that if they enter the battlefield you draw a card lose a life and, and so if you can do this multiple times yeah you do this twice and you've def- just divination and also yeah. de- dealt four damage. Getting like, one card off, this is good. Getting multiple cards out of it, so good. So that's card I'm really looking forward to. Um, next one we have is Dracuseth Maw of Flames. Four red, 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 so seven mana for legendary creature Dragon. He's a seven, seven. Hell uh, yeah. Has flying, as most dragons do. And whenever Dracuseth Maw of Flames attacks, it deals four damage to any target and three damage to each of up to two other targets. I put this on my top five three different times. I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He's tight, but no, he's he's tight. I so I'm left him on just there. excited for this yeah. card. There's a lot of red and black that I'm excited for, yeah. but I don't really like running those colors at pre-release. Uh, lots of removal, and this kind of exemplifies that. It's basically going to be a minion board wipe because generally you don't have more than about three creatures out at any given time. Most of them probably aren't going to have more than four toughness. So... Even if you just throw it to your opponent's face, that's 11 damage to their yep. face in one attack. Yeah. That's a lot that they have to deal with. And it's up to two other targets, so it can shoot Planeswalkers as well. Yeah, it's pretty good to spread damage around. It's just a very good card. Like, when you think about it, it's 17 damage, I think, on one attack. Yeah, insane. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the last one on my list is one of the cards I'm just 
oh, most excited yeah. about in general. Gary kind of talked about the fork effects. Um, this is repeated reverberation, two red red for an instant. When you next cast an instant spell, cast a sorcery spell, or activate a loyalty ability this turn, copy that spell or ability twice. You may choose new targets for the content. This thing Double is fucking brutal. I think this is another card that's just going to pop up all throughout this episode because yeah. it's so good. This one is insanely strong. Yes, that you have a huge mana investment into it, but sealed is generally a slower format. So if you can copy a spell, then you're just getting insane value. If you can copy it twice, oh man. Yeah, I think that is a really good idea. But the fact that it copies loyalty abilities, yeah. which don't cost any mana. See, that's what I saw. You could like potentially that, do this and do something else. My only caveat on that is that, I mean, yeah, you talk about the Chandra, but how often are you going to see Chandra's? Yeah. Right? You're going to see other spells a lot more often. And if you, you know, fork a draw spell or something like that, then get your hand back. Yeah, you get your entire hand back and it doesn't matter if you draw a couple lands out of that, you're totally fine with it. Oh yeah, this card, there's not really a downside. It's well mana priced. All right, so, so next we've got Garion's list. So my actual fifth pick is Flame Sweep. It's two and a red for an instant. It says Flame Sweep deals two damage to each creature except for creatures you control with flying. So I figured, you know, the big like blue-red wizards deck could do this um, if you got a couple flyers on the board. But really, it's just in sealed. It's just, it just has the potential to be a board. Yeah, it just basically shocks everything. Yeah. Um, Shock also in the set. Yeah. Um, I like it. It's not probably something I'm going to dig for if I you know, pick it out and like try and build around it. But I think it could be uh, a good piece of the puzzle when you're building. Honestly, I think this card is totally splashable as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. The one red yeah. pip. If you're blue-white skies, throw yeah. in, you know, a couple mountains in there to get this and it's basically going to be a board wipe and you're just going to finish them. Uh, my number four is, again, shifting ceratops. Two green-green for a 5-4 creature dinosaur. Um, can't be countered. We already talked about protection from blue. Just uh, a good value card. Really cool finisher, but also just like there's enough there that you can kind of work around her. Um, my number three is Luxodon Life Changer. He's five and a white, so he's expensive for a four six creature elephant cleric. It says when Luxodon Life Changer enters the battlefield, you may have your life total become the total toughness of creatures you control. Weird. It's weird. <laughs> uh, and then for another five and a white, Lux and Life Changer gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is your life total. Um, so again, this could be another one of those trap cards where you <laughs> think it's going to do more than it really ends up doing. But I think in the right deck, this could be a really cool way to shift the math on your opponent um, and create a weird disparity that they have to try and combat. This is a late game card. You see it in the yep. mana cost. You see it in the body. And... It is a May trigger, so... Right. And at bare minimum, your life becomes six. If you're at one, that's a five five increase. Like, that's... It's yeah. fine. If you can give him evasion, excellent. If you can give him lifelink, awesome. Even better. <laughs> Just doubling your life, or more than doubling your life. Um, my number two is Corpse Knight. He is white and a black for a 2-2 two -two creature zombie knight. So he's a 2-2 two -two for two. But whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life. Yeah, this one's a bit confusing to me just because it's in black-white, which is yeah. kind of the life gain deck in yeah. this. And it seems to be a, you can go wide instead. So I think they're trying to just give multiple strategies, but I don't know, it's just not what you expect. Yeah, it seems like it'd be on a vampire card to me. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of Orzhov tokens in this set, but I think splashing this card into that Boros white weenie yep. deck would help a lot. It or would, even into the green-white go wide. Yeah, just one of the token decks. I think this is splashable in that. Where you're just making lots of creatures. Pinging every time. 
my last one, I don't know if it's necessarily like the best sealed card, but I think it would be really cool to play something like this, especially in a sideboard where you know you're playing against some of these big like green, uh, you know, token pump decks. It's Blight Beetle. He's one in a black for a 1-1. One, one. Creature Insect. Protection from green. Creatures your opponents control can't have plus one, plus one counters on them. Yeah, so this is definitely a silver bullet card. Yeah. yeah. It's strong when it's good, and it's a 1-1 one, one for two when it's not. Yep. This is kind of like the definition of a sideboard card. All right, so we've covered pre-release. We don't just pre-release around here. We don't just do sealed. We also like to draft, especially myself. Uh, Corey, if you're going to draft this set, what are you looking forward to? What do you want? Elementals. <laughs> so I want to try and get Omnath, Locus of the Royal, and just get all the good low-to-the-ground elementals and just spread it out and just start pumping them, drawing some cards if I get that far late in the game. And then another one I want to try is just Flying Tribal. Drew mentioned uh, Blue-White Skies. It's a great card car called... Warden of Evos Isle. It's two and a blue for a 2-2 two -two bird wizard flying. Creature spells of flying you cast cost one less to cast. So it just makes Sounds everything good. in your deck cost less and just makes it go so much faster. And there's a lot of big, awesome flyers in the set. And then another thing I, I would want to try in any set is Elvish Reclaimer, which is a one drop for green. One, two, Elf Warrior. Elvish Reclaimer gets plus two, plus two as long as there are three or more land cards in your graveyard. So it's a three, four. For one, you can pay two and tap it, sack a land, search your library for a land card, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle your library. So that card's awesome on its own. But the one card I want to try it with is the card that got that has everybody all hot and bothered, which is Lotus Field. It's a hexproof land, enters the battlefield tapped. When it enters the battlefield, sacrifice two lands, then add three mana of any one color. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to get into it, but this is kind of a, a hard card to build around because it just, it doesn't really get you any advantage because you're sacking lands and it comes in tapped. But with a card like Elvish Reclaimer, which cares about lands in the graveyard, it synergizes really well. And obviously a 3-4 for one mana isn't going to win you the game unless you can do it a bunch or have some other stuff. But I would just want to pull that off because I think those two cards work well together. And then another thing I would want to try is using an artifact deck. And there aren't a lot of artifact creatures in the set, but using the two cards Steel Overse Overseer and Manifold Key to do some untapped shenanigans would be so dope. So Steel Overseer is a two generic mana for a 1-1 one, one artifact creature construct. You can tap it, put a plus one plus one counter on each artifact creature you control. So it includes itself. And then Manifold Key is a one-drop artifact. It says pay one, tap it, untap another target artifact. So you untap your Overseer. And it has three and tap it, target creature can't be blocked this turn. So just doing that every turn, putting two counters on everything, will just get out of hand so fast. Then you make one of them unblockable, and you get And you just go. And the one thing I want to do, <laughs> and it's super meme but it's just get Colossus Hammer onto I, a creature. <laughs> I almost put this on my list, but I was trying to figure out what deck can use it. I don't even know. And the more I look, the less I think it's possible, just oh, because yeah. there's not any ramp besides, I think, New Horizons. Say, there's not even any good dorks, really. No, but it's like you have to get like eight yeah. hard mana. <laughs> yeah. So Colossus Hammer is a one drop, but that win <laughs> is going to be. <laughs> so Colossus Hammer is a one drop artifact. It's an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus 10, plus 10 and loses flying. And it's got an equip cost of eight. 
eight hard mana. Obviously, in other formats where you can just cheat this onto a creature, yeah. incredible. See, that's what I was thinking. I was looking, I was digging through all of them. Like, where's the free equip? It's, yeah. not, it's not in this set, unfortunately. But, but in just this set, I don't know. It would be awesome. And obviously, your dude would need some evasion. It might work really well in the artifact deck with Manifold Key just giving something unblockable. But I think it would just be hard to pull off. But yeah. so awesome. Yeah, it's just... You're spending so much mana just to equip and yeah. they can kill it in response. And like yeah. there's there's a lot of risk it's, going into it. It's not good. <laughs> you can't put it on your flyer to get that free damage in. Yeah. And then I've got an honorable mention of a really, really messed up thing, but it's Tectonic so Rift. It's three and a red, destroy target land. Creatures without flying can't block this turn. But I want to do that with repeated reverberation <laughs> and fork it twice. Just murder everybody. <laughs> Blow up lands. three lands yeah. for for eight mana. <laughs> I mean, you do that and your opponent's probably not coming back. Yeah. All right. Okay, Drew, what do you got? So first one I have is, it's kind of just like a me strategy, which is just go wide, specifically focusing on tokens. So the, the feature good. of the deck is your signpost card, um, Iron Root Warlord. So this is a three drop. It's one green white for a star five. It is a creature, tree folk, soldier, and it has Iron Root Warlord's power is equal to the number of creatures you control. So already showing you that this is a go wide. It's this yeah. flag post of green white telling you this is exactly what needs to happen in this deck. It also has the activated ability, three green white, create a one one white soldier creature token. So there's a lot of support for this archetype in the format. Um, the two that are kind of like most notable to me are Might of the Masses, which pumps one creature equal to the amount of creatures you control, and then Overcome, which is the budget overrun. Yeah. Uh, creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and trample. Yeah, I think Might of the Masses is just a sneaky, sneaky combat trick because it's an instant speed. So you just swing with everything, whatever gets through. Pump it. Yeah, kill. and it's one mana for that, yeah, too. So, so you just good. have all of your creatures out there. You know, you can just do an alpha strike and just swing with everything. Yeah, you don't even care. You just got to get something through. Yeah. All right, so the second one uh, I have is just the Cavalier cycle. So every color has a Cavalier of blank. And these are mythic rare, so you're not going to see them very often. Yeah. Um, the one that I want to talk about specifically is the Cavalier of Gales. I don't know if it's necessarily the strongest one, but I think that it's up there. It's very strong. It's two blue, blue, blue for a 5-5 five, five creature, Elemental Knight. It has flying, and when Cavalier of Gales enters the battlefield, draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. When Cavalier of Gales dies, shuffle it into its owner's library, then scry two. So this one is the most resistant of them. If it dies, it goes back into your library. It kind of helps you stop milling yourself if you've got some way to, to recur it. And then it also just, when it comes down, it's a 5-5 five, five flyer that brainstorms. Yeah, all of the Cavaliers are, they're not like crazy powerful, but they're all really good. But they're all two generic mana and then three of their color. So it's a heavy mana investment, but for five mana, getting a 5-5 five, five flyer, you'll take that rate anyways. Oh, yeah. And to get a brainstorm on top of it, that helps you, you know, filter your top draws. And then the the, the die trigger is just yeah. really, really good. Yeah, they all have an ETB and then a death trigger. And I think, I agree, this one is the most useful. And flying 5-5 five, five, five for 5, hell yeah, you yeah. play that. Thing's going to bash a lot. So the next kind of strategy I want to look at is auras, which again, it's, it's a very me thing. Just playing with enchantments. Uh, specifically, I want to mess with uh, Gargos Vicious Watcher Hell because yeah. <laughs> I just think this would be the most fun one to to have for the aura deck. Um, so Gargos Vicious Watcher is a 8-7 legendary creature Hydra. Costs 3 green, green, green. Has vigilance and Hydra spells you cast cost 4 less to cast. I don't care about that. Yeah, that doesn't really matter. Whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell, Gargos Vicious Watcher fights up to one target creature you don't control. That's the one. <laughs> That's the good stuff. So the reason why I like this in the Auras deck is because you are targeting, which means that you get to have Gargos fight stuff over and over again. So if you're able to get him out, you know, one or two 
auras that you cast on your stuff basically is going to win you the game because you're just going to dump your entire hand and also kill their board. Yeah, just an 8-7 Vigilance for 6, awesome. Repeated removal, way better. Yeah, and if your opponent tries to kill it, you get to kill one of their things first. Yeah, and then you can just, just using combat tricks, not even auras, just anything, Just you got to target it and it just removes something because it's probably going to kill whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, 8 powers, a lot. And 7 Toughness, it's probably not going to die when, when the thing hits it back. So one of my favorite archetypes in draft is Blue-White Skies. It's just efficient and I don't want to say lazy, but it doesn't make me think very much. It's just oh, yeah. like I know exactly what I'm doing. It's always going to be um, And so Empyrean Eagle is the assigned postcard for it. Um, it's one white blue for a creature, bird, spirit. It's a 2-3 and it has flying. And other creatures you control with flying get plus one, plus one. So it's an anthem for your flyers. Clearly, again, the signpost for this deck telling you exactly what you need to do. And I'm all for it. So the last one on my list is one that I specifically want in draft, not in sealed necessarily, because you probably need to kind of draft around a little bit. It's Embodiment of Agonies. It's one black black for a zero zero creature demon. It has flying and death touch, and Embodiment of Agonies enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each different mana cost among non-land cards in your graveyard. And they have reminder text here. For example, two and a black and one black black are different mana costs. See, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just... Uh, if you have a just one, one two, two, or three, three or four, then it's just like, okay, it's pretty good. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, wait oh, a minute. You're going to be way bigger than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So anytime this guy comes down, even if you get him on turn three, if for whatever reason you've had stuff go to the bin, it's going to be valuable. Your sorceries count for this instance, et cetera. Like it's not just permanence, which is often what you see on a card like this. So this card is fantastic. Yeah. Especially since he has flying, he's just going to be a big boy and just get through. Yeah, you see the three mana, and you're like, ah, probably not going to be that big. You see that he's a demon, and you realize there's probably some extra shenanigans going on here. And I think, like, realistically, you can get this guy seven or eight, oh, and it wouldn't be too hard. Easy. So I have one honorable mention that I, I really want to talk about, which is Mammoth Spider, Sutton, Dominarium. It's a three-five spider with reach. Uh, it's just going to hold back basically it's everything. All-star. Yeah, it's so good. The, I think, it honestly, was underrated for a long time in Dominaria, uh, but people started to realize that if you can attack through, then your opponent is probably going to win. Yep. It just blocks everything. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Moving on to my list, my fifth choice was the Corpse Knight. Um, and I just figured he would be kind of cool with a low to, low to the ground, kind of like cheap mana cost creatures strategy. Um, I don't know if you're probably going to have enough life gain to make it like a, a, a drain type of deck, but I just think it'd be cool. You're playing creatures anyway. He's a 2-2 two, two for 2. Um and Orzhov is just fun as hell to play. Yeah, so this guy was play. also on your sealed list. So you just, yeah. you just want to play this guy, period. I just like him. Yeah, he, yeah. I, I feel like he's he sweet. cheaply costed and he has a decent effect. The next Dude. one you have on here is kind of a, what do you call it? Magical Christmas Land, I believe. Oh, is yeah, the, this yeah. is the wish mode. Yeah. <laughs> well, your yeah, dreams. I mean, you asked me, what What do I wish <laughs> I could draft? Uh, the next one would be the, the Chandra jacket. You'll never get <laughs> this. <laughs> so this would probably, you know, in ideal Christmas Land, be a mono red, just fucking go, go, go type of deck. Um, getting two, two or three of those Chandras would be ideal. But honestly, just playing around one of them, if you pull them in a pack, I think could still be fun. Um, and and it could still be kind of brutal if you, if you pull it off right. I'm not super good at mono red, so I think the person to draft that deck would be Corey because he'd know what he's looking for. I mean, mono red is a fun draft yes. strategy. Swing and burn. Yeah. yeah. Like mono red burn is, I mean, think of your creatures as burn spells. Yeah. It goes really well with my number three card, which is repeated reverberation. Uh, I, 
well, like you were saying, I don't draft nearly as much as you do, so I don't know that I should just plop this out, pack one, pick one. I would pack one, pick one so but fast. It's, it's I mean, so good. I, I agree. I think uh, this is like we were talking about. This card, no matter when you play, yeah, it's, it's gonna true. do. Some and it work. doesn't matter if you're splashing it or if you're mono red or yeah. if you're, you're probably not splashing for this card. Double red pips on a yeah. four drop is kind of hard, especially when you have to consider that you're probably going to spend minimum six mana on the turn you use this. Yeah, because you're probably going to cast something else, true. Yeah. Um, but I still think it would be really cool in a black-red, blue-red burn deck. The The Wizards deck in this set isn't as strong as past sets, but I still think there's, there's like a wizards. really good is it deck there. Um, my number two pick is Dread Presence. He's three and a black for a 3-3 three, three creature nightmare. And it says, whenever a swamp enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. You draw a card and you lose a life. Or Dread Presence deals two damage to any target and you gain two life. So we already talked about the Drug value card. that you get out of drawing a card and losing a life. Like, so he could that one be life a Phyrexian Arena for every swamp you get. Or if you're really racing, this separates you and your opponent by four life every time you play a land, every time you play a swamp. Uh, both of those modes, I think, are really cool to work around. Well, I think another point to look at is that it's two damage to any target right so it not just your removal. opponent yeah you can just start removing little things yeah. when your land starts to become removable it's very strong or just second main phase land drop shoot something that the target damage. take damage yeah nobody seems like it's that. another one of those things that you're going to be playing lands anyway so yeah you're just getting value if you're heavy black plop it in there man yeah i definitely wouldn't play this in like a light black i, I mean i don't think you can splash it reasonably no four I, mana I three three so. it's just it's okay but if you can get consistent value off of it, even if you get two or three triggers, I think that you're more yeah. than happy with yeah, it. Yeah, if you get a removal spell and you draw a card of it, way good. Yeah. My last one, um, keeping to my Golgari roots, is Moldervine Reclamation. It's a five-mana enchantment, so it's three black-green. And it says whenever a creature you control dies, you gain a life and draw a card. Um, I think this would be really cool in... A Golgari token deck, obviously something real. Slimefoot? <laughs> Slimefoot oh, yeah. would be tight Zapperlings. if he was Gross. here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Sapperlings is not a thing in this set. But Thank God. <laughs> yeah, bummer. Uh, but I, I still think it's just such a good value card that if you're in those colors, you want it. And if you find this late in a pack, which I don't know how often you're going to do that. I think this will go pretty late. I don't think, think so? a lot of people are going to prioritize this. Yeah, I think you kind of have to build around this card. True. So if you find this late in a pack and you know you're there already, I think it's just such good value that you... you It it creates a tempo disparity with some of those faster decks that you can help keep up with them. With Moldervine Reclamation, I think that it's playable in a lot of different formats. I don't think it's like, you know, Modern Legacy Vintage type playable, but I think that in Commander, it's yeah. going to be good. I think, you know, Brawl or... Oathbreaker or whatever random format you're yeah, chugging along with. Getting value yeah. and recurring tokens, I think, is a really strong effect. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the ones that I chose are, you know, cards you've got to kind of build around, which is why I kind of moved them to the draft spot instead of just sealed, because I figured you have a little more opportunity to make those choices. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we've gone through the limited side of things. We'll get into the constructed side in a bit. But first, let's get back to these beers. So... I'm still sipping on this Tahoe beer blonde ale. Um, to be honest, the more I sip on it, it's, it's very average. Not sweet, not tart, not citrusy, just kind of, like we said, mellow, malty. I do like that there's almost no hops, so it's not a real challenge to, like, 
tackle the bitter. Keep going. Yeah. yeah basically zero IBUs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, beer flavored water, but much better than Coors. You know what I mean? <laughs> that nice Tahoe water, at least. <laughs> yeah. Tahoe. Hopefully water. they're not dumping it in that water. Literally or <laughs> otherwise. So I had the 208. Shout out to Grand Teton Brewery, Idaho, represent. Um, but kind of like what Gary was saying about his beer, this one, it's very generic, but in a good way. I would drink this anytime. I feel like this podcast has kind of spoiled us. We have all these very cool, flavorful Yeah, we try and craft get the, the weird stuff that we yeah. haven't had before and just mix things up. For this episode, we just got some cool, easy drinking beers. Yeah. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah. And the... It's officially summertime, so we're drinking. Yeah. And I've got the, the Schoferhofer here, which is, it's a nice import, but honestly, I think they put way too much fruit juice in this. It's kind of sitting heavy, which I wouldn't expect out of this. I mean, it is easy to drink, but the more I have of it, the less I want of it, I feel. It's not like the lemon or orange kind of flavors that I would normally enjoy. The grapefruit flavor is not grapefruit-y as much as I'd like either. I don't know. It just kind of misses the mark on a lot of things. I it's think the bitter like nice is played up and the, the tart is a little underdeveloped. You know what I mean? See, I, I think, I don't know if this is good lounging around doing nothing beer, but if you're outside, just like barbecuing or hanging out by a pool or something, I think this is a perfect beer because it's so crisp. All right, let's get into constructed side of things. Hell so you. for us, our main constructed format is EDH. So we're going to emphasize that here. Um, so what are some cards we're looking forward to? Right. So First we off, we kind of talk about commanders, right? Right. We each kind of selected one legendary creature that we thought sparked some interest and uh, had a few ideas on how we'd build it. Um, mine was Rianne, Angel of Rebirth. And uh, she's the Biobox promo. She is. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to do like a Naya Weenies deck with this, with this girl here. Um, First of all, these are dinosaur colors, which is kind of tight. If you wanted to, you can splash your top end for some big monster dinosaurs. That's not how I would do it. Yeah, my um, problem with her is that she looks like she's supposed to be like the the pilgrim for the Naya Angel deck. Yeah. And yeah. that's super disappointing because I've wanted to build that deck for a little while. Well, she reads two red, green, white so two and naya for five four legendary creature angel with flying and it says other multicolored creatures you control get plus one plus zero which is kind of weird it is yeah. uh and then whenever another multicolored creature you control dies return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step that's what i like a lot um gaddock teague goes in this deck Night of New Alara goes in this deck. Voice of Resurgence. Night of Autumn goes in this deck. There's a lot of these like uh, Selesnia little guys that have just super good value. There's some like control synergies in there. And when people inevitably remove this shit, it comes right back. Yeah, I think that last ability is the one you want to really yeah. dig into in the deck. It's sort of like Feather where because it's each end step. Right. Or the next end step. So if something dies on everybody's turn, if you flash it out or something, do some shenanigans, you can get it back every turn. Yeah. So I think that's sort of what you have to abuse. Yeah, you have to focus on uh, multicolored creatures, obviously. So yeah. you're not looking for any of the like standard one-color guys. But I've got stuff like Kwasali Pride Mage in here. He's green and a white for a 2-2. Two -two. He has Exalted, so whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. But also you can pay one generic and sacrifice him, destroy target artifact or an enchantment. 
sacking him, you bring him back at the next end step. You got really cheap, like good, valuable cards that you can get out each turn. You're not investing a ton in it, but they have this recurrable sort of synergy. Yeah. I think just Naya ETBs and death mm-hmm. triggers is kind of the, the best yeah, way to build. So you don't really I care like about the pump. Sure. And like Drew was saying, it's not really angel deck. Because no, a lot not. of angels are monocolored. Yeah. Well, this one only cares about multicolored creatures. Yeah. Well, and when I started looking into the Naya colors, there are a lot of like Naya dinosaurs, but I don't know that that's what this deck wants to do. You don't, you don't want to spend six, eight, ten mana on something, put it back in your hand, and then spend it again. Most yeah. of the I mean, dinosaurs aren't that expensive, but you some know, of them are the really the yeah, ones where they're playing. Like, if you I, play I Zakama some of the... <laughs> every turn, goddamn. It's true. <laughs> Honestly, uh, cycling Zakama would be insane because he untaps your lands. That's true. Uh, I think some of the raptors would be cool. The ones that let you search for like lands and stuff like that. A rapacious raptor. Oh I think yeah. One of them. When they de- get dealt damage or whatever. Yeah. So you just um, die. But what I really like is, like I said before, um, some of this removal. So Elvish Hex Hunter is another one. He's a split Selesnia mana. So one mana for a 1-1. One, one, and then you can do a split Selesnia, tap him, sacrifice him to destroy an artifact or enchantment. A lot of good utility creatures. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just thought it would be really tight <laughs> to have like some of your big finishers be like Xenagos, God of Revels. Xenagos is very good. He goes in this deck. Uh, he's a 6-5 indestructible god. Obviously, uh, all of those gods have this clause. As long as your devotion to red and green is less than seven, Xenagos isn't a creature. But he says at the beginning of combat on your turn, another target creature you control gains haste and plus X plus X until end of turn where X is that creature's power. So you're doubling your dudes. I think most importantly, he's a haste enabler for the creatures that you bring back. Yeah. yeah. But then the real nasty guy. This is a messed up card. How have I never <laughs> this, seen this Is this guy? not tight though? <laughs> His name is Realm Razor. He's three and Naya. So six mana for a four, two creature beast. And it says when Realm Razor comes into play, remove all lands from the game. <laughs> when Realm Razor leaves play, return the removed cards to play tapped under their owner's control. So obviously this is a brutal card, but like this fits in with that kind of like <laughs> control your board kind of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds less like you want to build a white weenies and more like you want to build Naya hate bears. Yeah. Truth. Especially with this card. You just- I said weenies because I chose a lot of like multicolor, cheap multicolored utility stuff, but you're, but you're right. It's, it's, yeah, it's a Naya hate bears. <laughs> but you're right. You saw it. You found me out. Yeah, as soon as you I put Gattic Teague, you can't sneak okay. hate bears through. We will pick up on that You can't shit. put Gattic Teague in a deck and <laughs> yeah. not call it a hate bears deck because that's the only thing it wants to do. Oh, yes. All right, Corey. So I've talked about it a lot this episode. And Literally, as soon as it was spoiled, my text chat for <laughs> yeah, like our group chat the UUD like chat was like, oh God, oh God. <laughs> so my card or my commander that I would choose is Omnath, Locus of the Royal. And I've already got an Omnath, Locus of Rage deck. And I think it would just be a super easy upgrade to just make this the commander. And I don't think that this Omnath is better than Omnath of Rage. I think Omnath, Locus of Rage is still the best one. Just because you abuse those ETBs so much. Have you read the text on this one yet? Or have we just said its name a bunch of times? No, we haven't. Oh, my bad, guys. So Omnath, Locus of the Royal, is one green, blue, red. So it's one and two mirror for a 3-3 legendary creature elemental. When Omnath, Locus of the Royal, enters the battlefield, it deals damage to any target equal to the number of elementals you control. So that's sort of a go-wide clause. And then... Whenever a land enters the battlefield on your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on target elemental you control. If you control eight or more lands, draw a card. So that's more of the landfall that we know. 
So yeah, I think like you said, he's a little bit weaker overall. He's less focused. But I think he's, adding he's blue still fun. is I think that is the key. Good. Yeah, there's a lot of good blue elementals. That is sort of what I emphasized when I was thinking of this deck. Well, and the filtering and the card draw that you can get to be able to get back to yeah. the other arm. Yeah, relying on blue card draw over green or even red card draw is way better. Good. And there's a, like Drew was saying, there's a lot of good blue elementals. Maelstrom Wanderer is one. Mole Drifter is another one. Royal Elemental. Just yeah, some, Royal some bangers. Royal Elemental is the one that I was thinking of. And then really just cool. there's some other good landfall cards in Simic that I you just couldn't use before, like Tatiova, Benthic Druid. And then uh, one of the new cards that I would really want to try out with the deck is Risen Reef. So it's one green-blue for 1-1 one, one Elemental. Whenever Risen Reef or another elemental enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield tapped. If you don't put the card onto the battlefield, put it into your hand. So this is a Coiling Oracle effect. Yeah. And which we've seen is very strong. Yep. Very strong. But I think this just works so well with Omnath Locus of Rage because you play an elemental, you reveal the top card. If it's a land, you put it on the battlefield, making another elemental, triggering this again. So as long as you have lands, you'll just keep going, making five fives. Yeah, that's... A wombo super hard. Seriously. And then you if you just if you have haste or sack outlets, you just start going. And I think it's most, exactly the kind of shit you would do with that. <laughs> oh yeah. Deck just, too. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm into. That I think that was the most exciting part. Because I think Risen Reef got spoiled before yeah. Omnath. And so I was like, ooh, that's a cool card. And then I was like, ooh, oh, all together. Actually, I, yeah. But I think one of the most important things about this deck is just having just another landfall deck with access to blue. And Obviously, throwing Cyclonic Rift in there would just make any deck a lot better. Certainly won't hurt you. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay, Drew, what do you got? I know you're really excited for this guy. Yeah. So as soon as this guy got spoiled, like I sent our group chat, like I think half of a deck basically for how I wanted to build it. You're and just, I was like, what about this card? But wait, <laughs> yeah. I can do a it's different like, oh, wait, build. And this, so and this, on and our this. outline here, I have five different builds. <laughs> like you got Just Guy spells, you've got aristocrats, enchantments, which I think I'd just do like a pillow for if I was going to do that. You've got storm, which is super easy. Uh, just general tokens. Yeah, uh, I think the commanders that Gary and I chose are very linear, while this guy is yeah. way yeah, open-ended. You can do anything with him. But the one I want to focus on is Jeskai Spells. So the commander I'm most excited about is Kaikar Winds Fury. One blue, red, white, so one in Jeskai, for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature, Bird Wizard. It's got flying, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying. And he's got an additional line of text, the more important one, which is sacrifice a spirit, add red. So the most abusable part of him. So you could do a, I don't know, general spirits deck and just like kind of get bonus value off of him. But I'm more focused on the non-creature spells. It includes enchantments, which is why I was talking about doing uh, like a pillow fort enchantment style deck. Uh, artifacts, which you could do like a Jorah Storm deck with white in it finally. Uh, but I want to talk about Jeskai Spells. And one of the premier cards to me is one of the new ones from Modern Horizon, Aria of Flame. It's two and a red for an enchantment. When Aria of Flame enters the battlefield, each opponent gains 10 life. Seems bad. But whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a verse counter on Aria of Flame, then it deals damage equal to the number of verse counters on it to target player or planeswalker. So in a spells deck, this is going to get insane very quickly, especially in Commander. Yeah. In any other deck, I don't think, I think it's just way too hard. But in this deck specifically, I think you just get so much value. So when we're talking about instant sorceries, we can't not talk about Young Pyromancer, Young Peasy. 
Uh, one in a red for a 2-1 creature, human shaman. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-1 one, one red elemental creature token. Uh, I don't think that there's a single iteration of this deck where I'm not running Anointed Procession to double the tokens I get. So he just goes in super easy. Same with Monastery Mentor, which is two in white for a 2-2 two, two creature human monk with prowess. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one till end of turn. So he's going to get big on his own. But he also has, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 one, one white monk creature token with prowess onto the battlefield. So again, this prowess effect is basically what Kaikar has, and you're going to be triggering this over and over again with all of the spells in your deck. Yeah, you're just buffing everybody, making more and more tokens. And I don't think I can put blue and red in a deck, in a spells deck, without playing Gutter Snipe. Oh, yeah. uh, two and a red for 2-2, two, two, Creature Goblin Shaman. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it deals two damage to each opponent. This, again, going to get out of hand. This is a quick way to kill everyone mm -hmm. once you get going. And if you have to rely on combat, you can use something like Battle Him, which is one and a red. Add red to your mana pool for each creature you control, which allows you to do either pump effects or it basically doubles the amount of mana that you're going to get from your spirits if you sack all of them. Uh, there's also one that is focused on attacking creatures. So you can just send your whole board, get the red mana off of it, sack them, get more red mana off of it, which allows you to go for a big finisher, something like Comet Storm, uh, which is X red red for an instant multi-kicker one. So you pay an additional one for any number of times you want to uh, cast a spell for each target and choose target creature or player, then choose another target creature or player for each time Comet Storm was kicked. Comet Storm deals X damage to each of them. If you're just generating an ass load of mana, you're just going to burn people out, which is a lot of fun. But if you happen to miss the mark, we've got Past in Flames, which is three and a red uh, for sorcery. Each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. Flashback cost is equal to its mana cost, and it, it itself has flashback for four and a red. So you can just really go off with a bunch of instant sorceries. If you don't get the value you want out of them, you've got Past in Flames to do it again, and then Past in Flames again to do it again. You really just see that this is just such a massive value deck, but it has to be based in red because the spirits that you're sacking are giving you red mana only, right. which is kind of weird. But if you had Phyrexian Altar or something like that, you could kind of change that into other colors, for basically the same effect. Um, but to me, I ha don't have like a base red deck. I think my Grixis decks are mostly black, uh, which is fun, but I think that this is a different angle for me. I love Jeskai Spells as an archetype. Uh, it was really fun in the cons block. So I'm really looking forward to doing it again. All right, so now it's time to talk about the 99. Having the commanders is great, but what are the cards for the 99 that are going to enhance decks that we already have or maybe kind of push us into another one? Yeah, these are just the cards you say, ooh, that's a good upgrade, or like that can replace this card in this slot and one just one of the, your other decks that you already have. I think it's commander players primarily a lot of times when we're drafting, but especially when we're at pre-release, this is what we're looking for. Sometimes there's, there's cool commanders that we're like, yeah, I'll probably build them. But if you're going to build a whole deck, you plan on buying them anyway. But these are ones where you're like, ooh, hopefully I pull it because I could just put them right in. Yeah, there. just like, I know exactly what card I'm cutting for this. Just yeah. going right in. So the first one I have on on my list, uh, I kind of cheated here. <laughs> I gave everyone three. three slots, but I put three because they're all <laughs> ley lines. Yeah. So the first one I think is the one that everyone should be most familiar with. Um, and that's Leyline of Anticipation. It's two blue blue for an enchantment. If Leyline of Anticipation is in your opening hand, you may begin with, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. All of the ley lines are going to have that, so I'm not going to read it three times. Um, but this one's specific effect is you may cast spells as though they had flash. So this is the enchantment version of Madalkan Ori, my girl, which we talk about a fair bit just because it, it's so insane in Commander. And for me, as an enchantment player, like there's nothing I want more than Madalkan Ori as an enchantment. Yeah, yeah we. I don't think we've talked about the ley lines in this episode yet, but they're all really powerful. They're reprints that everyone is looking forward to all the colors i think are pretty good and they're like drew was saying they just go in 
If you're running that color, you probably want to run a lot of these cards, especially Leyland of Anticipation. That was just too good. I think the second most powerful one, just in general, uh, for Commander anyways, is Leyland of the Void. It's two black-black, again, enchantment, has the Leyland text, and if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So having this at the beginning of the game against graveyard decks is just... Posed. Yeah, it's yeah. so powerful. This has been a modern sideboard staple for a very long time. Yeah, it's I think before so this got strong. reprinted, it was up to like $50 because yeah. it was played that much. I think the most important part of that about this, the text on this card is it's, it's opponents. Right. So you can still right. run it in your graveyard deck and just hose everybody else's graveyards. <laughs> yeah. It's an incredibly strong card. Like I said, it's been a modern staple basically since it was printed. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, and now it's going to be more accessible, which I think is really, really good. The Leyline of Anticipation, I think, was about $20, something like that. Yeah. And right now they're predicting that it's going to go down to about $5. Yeah, so, so that's snatch them up. By uh, 20 of them. Yeah, really, <laughs> like, I think that's a card that is going to rise in value. I think I predicted that it's probably going to go up to about $15 again. Yeah, it's just, it's going to drop down once the set comes out, and then it's going to go right back up, because it's it's played that much. Yeah, and Leyline of the Void, it's a $50 card. I think the predictions right now is like, 15 to 20, but that's going to go up so fast. Oh, yeah. It's going to go right back up because people are going to finally be able to get a bunch of copies yeah, of it. I would be surprised if it's at the same price by the time this video comes out. So the last one I want to talk about for the Ley Lines is Ley Line of Abundance. Um, it's kind of one of the weaker ones, except in a very specific deck. So yeah, <laughs> two green green for an enchantment. Whenever you tap a creature for mana, add an additional green. And then six green green, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. So basically, I'm only looking at this to put it in my elf deck because like yep. I said, when I built that deck as many of these mana dorks as i possibly can fit in a deck i'm putting them all in and then i'm gonna get value out of them this card just doubles that value yeah and also has the last text which is six green green put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control so all of the that doubled mana you got you actually have a way to use it so it's good early game ramping you super hard and then late game just finishing just pumping everything yeah four mana dorks good to go yeah i think this one's really good it's just a lot more linear yeah like you were saying drew yeah and the white one gives you hexproof and the red one... I think the red one, lightning bolts things. That's, damage. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's whenever you or permanent... You control becomes a target spell or ability. Yeah, which that's I think is also super linear. It's definitely not good in EDH, but I, I think, I think in certain in... decks, probably like... Uh, what's the storm deal one damage? Uh, grape shot. Grape shot. Like a grape shot deck, it just stops grape shot deck, but I don't think that's a very prominent storm deck in our playgroup at least but i think it's just a lot more narrow focused than these other ones yeah i kind of i don't want to make the assumption that it's not going to see play because yeah people will play anything for any reason um but Especially if you can cheat it out and turn zero like yeah. boom one Why of the not? cards that people are going to play i think is villas broker of blood this is one of the cards that i'm honestly looking most excited like i'm most excited Ooh, to yeah. you read him and you go he's good you read him again <laughs> holy shit he's really good <laughs> so for five Black, black, black. You get eight, eight, eight legendary creature demon. Fine. I think flying. the folks are going to be excited that he's actually eight mana for an eight, eight now. Yeah. So he's insane because he has pay black and two life. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Wait, that's not why. He's insane because whenever you lose life, draw that many cards. Mm -hmm. So in commander, I mean, you could deck yourself. Easily. <laughs> he's, he's very good. So when you have his activated ability... You pay the two life, target creature gets minus one, minus one, you draw two cards. When your opponent hits you for four, you draw four cards. When Phyrexia Arena triggers every turn, you, you draw, draw an, an additional, additional card. card. Yeah, he's people have been calling him Baby Gristlebrand, and yep. obviously he's nowhere near the power level of that because you have to pay mana. 
But the fact that it's whenever you lose life, draw that many cards, that's just so strong. Yeah, it's an insane draw engine, especially in black, yeah. where black is very good at creating black sources. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of black card draws, you lose life and draw that many cards. So you essentially lose that life and draw twice that many cards with this guy out. All right, so the last one I have, I've just been calling Fixed Cyclonic Rift. It's Flood Ooh, of Tears yeah. for blue-blue for sorcery. Return all non-land permanents to their owners' hands. If you return four or more non-token permanents you control this way, you may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. The permanent you put on the battlefield does not have to be one of the ones that was returned to your hand. Right. Yep, cheat out your Ulamog. So obviously this card's just going to be insane. Blue board good. wipe, just... I mean, kind of joke that, you know, it's not going to be anywhere near as good as Cyclonic Rift, mainly because it's a sorcery. Yeah, right. I agree. But the effect is the same as what Cyclonic Rift is, and then you also get this bonus. Oh, yeah. I know exactly... If I pull on these, I know exactly which deck I'm pull it, putting it in. I know exactly what I'm doing with it. <laughs> it's basically a, another Cyclonic Rift that you get to cheat something in. Like you are saying, Drew. Like, that's so powerful. Methinks it's Joyra. It is. I'm taking <laughs> Devastation Tide out, putting this in, oh, yeah. bounce everything back, play Joyra again, cast all my zero drops, get the engine going. Yep. Okay, so my first card is called Brought Back, which is a white-white for an instant. Choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. Return them to the battlefield tapped. So the internet's all up in a tizzy about this card because of fetch lands. Yeah. And people are getting really mad about being able to get four mana on turn two with this card. People are upset about that? Oh, yeah. Well, really? Because I feel like that's like getting, the one way you give white its ramp. That's the problem, is that it is land ramp in white. So? White doesn't get... Yeah, land. whites, they balance it to not have land ramp. Yeah, but, but I feel like it, this is a just, fair way for white to have it. You still have to have those crazy good fetch lands. Yeah. I, that's just what people... I'm obviously <laughs> yeah, not going to no, use yeah, it get for that. I'm using it for Gattatique because blowing everything up and then cheating back <laughs> Elish Norn and Vornclex is just going to be so good. <laughs> Can't say no to Norn. Yeah. I think this card is going to see a lot of play just because it's permanence straight to the battlefield. Yeah, this one I'm actually looking forward to as well in enchantment decks just because yeah. oh, as yeah. soon as an enchantment board white comes out, you honestly don't have that many answers to it. And so just to get the, the best two back is really, really strong. Yeah, and the best part is that it's an instant. So you can just keep two mana up, and if anybody does board wipe, then you get your best things back before your turn. Yeah. All right, next one on your list, another strong card, but as you put politics, politics, politics. <laughs> so this card is Scheming Symmetry. It's a black for sorcery. Choose two target players. Each of them searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. So the... Obvious bad thing here is that when you play this, if, if you don't have an immediate draw effect, the person who you gave the card to is going to be able to draw that card before you do. Yeah. But like Drew was saying, it's all about politics. It's just, hey, you need an answer? I need something good. Let's work together to just fight the table. Or it's like, who has the worst deck? You can get a card. Yeah. And Go obviously, find your best shitty card. Go, yeah. buddy. There's the politics of there's a threat that we can't answer or yeah. like I can't answer immediately. And you can be like, hey, do you have an answer in your deck or do you or whatever? We need to answer whatever, like Elish Norn, for example. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you're in a green deck that doesn't really have a lot of, you know, creature removal. So it's like I can get rid of the enchantment that's helping him out here, but you're going to have to get rid of Elish Norn. Yeah. So you use politics in that way. So that way your tutor is the most important one and that theirs is just theirs helps the tables while your helps yourself. Yeah. And we were thinking about it in Two Headed Giant. Oh, this card yeah. is stupid. Yeah, if you do two guard players and do two headed giant for it, this would be so fun. Who else like, hey, would I select? Let's get our right best stuff. Let's win right now. Yeah. Okay, the last card I have is Mystic Forge. 
which is a four-drop artifact. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an artifact card or a colorless non-land card. Then you can pay, tap it, pay one life, exile the top card of your library. So this is another card that's going straight into Joyra. And it's just being able to look at your top card, throw it away if you want, or just cast it if it's a zero drop. It's just such a powerful effect just to stop stalls because the one problem with that deck, or the biggest problem with that deck, is when you get going and you draw a land or just get into a pocket of land, you're just stuck because you need to cast artifacts and get the cycle going again and just draw and draw and draw and cast spells and more and more spells and just storm off. So this just prevents all of that, hopefully. And then I've got, I guess I have two honorable mentions. There's Icon of Ancestry, which is just tribal support. Throw that in Goblins. It's a three-drop artifact. As it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures you control, chosen type, get plus one, plus one. Okay. And then tap or pay three and tap it. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card of the chosen type from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Especially in modern red. I was going to say, this is really good mono for red. goblins. Yeah. Since you don't have a lot of card draw, draw, just pitching some lands and getting just another goblin might help you win the game. And then another shout out I have is Glinthorn Buccaneer, which is one red red for a 2-4 Minotaur Pirate with haste. Whenever you discard a card, it deals one damage to each opponent. Then you pay one in red, discard a card, draw a card. Activate this ability only if Glinthorn Buccaneer is attacking. So I actually thought of Garion's brother, Sean, and his Yidris deck, which is a wheel deck. We've mentioned it a few times. But I think this might actually make a spot in that deck just because you are wheeling so much, discarding your hand, doing extra damage. Yeah, most of the time it's whenever your opponents are discarding or drawing, so this helps use your discards to keep fueling yeah, that engine. Yeah, if you just wheel twice in a turn, that's probably 10 up to 14 damage extra on top of to that. each opponent. Yeah, yeah, so I think that might be just a, a As good if you need card to look another at. Card I know, right? <laughs> okay, Gary, what do you got? So the first one that I put on there, uh, I was actually thinking of Markov, uh, upgrades before I went and looked at the list, so he just stuck out to me. It's Soren, Imperious Bloodlord. He's like one of the the cheaper Sorens that you can get as a Planeswalker. Mana he's, cost-wise. Mana yeah, cost-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's probably not going to be cheap. Uh, but he's a four-loyalty Planeswalker. His plus one is target creature you control gains death touch and lifelink until end of turn. If it's a vampire, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So just kind of going with your vampire synergies. His second ability is also a plus one. You may sacrifice a vampire when you do Soren Impervious Bloodlord deals three damage to any target and you gain a life. So the vampire deck has a lot of stuff like Dictative Erebos and Grave Pact. You want death triggers anyway, so this can throw some damage around. Um, and you're making tons of just dinky little tokens anyway. So I feel like that is also really good. But the big one here is negative three you may put a vampire creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So one of the hardest parts about the vampire deck that I've found so far is that there are some really good vampires that are fucking expensive <laughs> mana cost, and that really slows down what this deck wants to do because it's a fast deck. Um, and so this is just a really cool way to try and cheat some of the, you know, you get guys like Butcher of Malak here out for for nothing yep. instead of the for seven three mana, mana or whatever. Turn yeah. three, yeah. 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 I think the best part about that ultimate is that it doesn't kill him. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. A, a yeah. Minus he three comes because he starts at four. Yeah. So I think he's a good include for that deck. All right. What else you got? The next card I have is Shared Summons. Um, this one's a 
combo-y card. This one's kind of more of a degenerate card. It's a three green green for an instant. Search your library for up to two creature cards with different names. Reveal them. Put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. So I think of like the really degenerate decks, like the Birthing Pod decks, the Gitrog decks, the Hermit Druid decks that just have like those two and three card combos that are mostly creature based. Like you're going to go find your best. This is just another copy of some of your best like combo pieces. Yeah, I don't know if Birthing Pod necessarily wants this because it is five mana. But well, yeah, that's true. It is expensive, but it's one of those ones that, like, if for some god awful reason you're not there yet, now you're it's there. It's just like a baby tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, and and then the last one you have for to cast like creature still, you do have to cast you get them. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Um, the last one I have for my ninety nine, just because he's cool, is the Lotus Field. Um, I think it goes in every graveyard deck that's going to have the ability to return lands from your graveyard. It's just good value. Yeah, I think that. Saying any graveyard deck is kind of rough, but like yeah. it has to be a land land focused yeah. deck. Yeah, I mean landfall decks that are pulling from the graveyard too. But I mean most graveyard decks I think nowadays have some of that there because a lot of graveyard decks have mill, self-mill. And so they're expecting to find some uh, lands in the graveyard. Uh, but I also think it's really good in the tappy-untappy decks where you've got cards like Blossom Dryad, um, he's two and a green for a two-two. Uh, tap him and untap target land. You've got stuff like Candelabra of Taunos. Good luck getting one of those. <laughs> I know, right? But like all these cards, and then there's Magus of the Candelabra. He's a one mana, pay X, tap, and untap X lands. So you just have the ability to like tap and untap and tap and create a load of colored mana with only one land. Personally, I would have um, just gone with. Kior's Follower and Fate Stitcher. Yeah, there's a lot of different. There's a, a whole bunch of ways to do it. Yeah, I just think that it's a pretty versatile land, and it has hexproof, so it can't be strip mined. Um, I, I think it's good. I think it has places in a lot of decks. In yeah, EDH. I think the stipulation is in certain decks. Like, yeah, you can't put definitely. this on every deck. No, 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 no. But in the decks that can use it, yeah, it's it bangs. Pretty good. Yeah, we kind of had. Yeah, we kind of had a discussion in our group chat, and I'm not the biggest fan of this card aside in like a specific lands deck, just because the resource investment into it is just massive. And Gary was like, "Oh, but a color fixes you." It's like, well, it actually opposite color fixes you, it color hoses you because it only taps for one land or one yeah. color. And so, like the example I gave is if you sacrifice a mountain in a forest, which tap for red and green, now all of a sudden you can, you can only, only tap for red, red yeah. or green. Yeah. And so, while it does pump the amount, like it's a very uh, resource-dense card, yep. the investment in it is going to be way too high, I think, for a lot of decks. So we're going to try and get to the wrap-up section here. Uh, but before we do, let's get to the best cards in the set. Uh, if we've named them before, we're not going to go into them again. Uh, but, Corey, give us your top three. So my top three, Flood of Tears, is just that mini uh, Psych Rift. The, the card that we haven't talked about yet, which I think is actually a lot better than it should be, it's Veil of Summer. It's a green... For an instant, draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanents you control gain hexproof from blue and from black until end of turn. So there's a lot going on in this on this card. But I think the most important part about this card is spells you control can't be countered this turn. Yeah, I think that this is a very good responsive strategy, yeah. uh, like sideboard card. Yeah, you play your bomb, gets countered, you respond with this, stack, makes this resolve first, you draw a card because you probably get countered by a blue spell. And then for, until end of turn, you have Hexproof from blue and from black. But I think the all of that's good, but the part you want to focus on is for one green, spells you control can't be counted this turn. That's everything that you have this turn. And I think 
that's just a really powerful card for one mana. Yeah, I think that this could just be a, a bait spell as well. Like, hey, I'm going to do something powerful this turn. I'm going to cast this, make them counter it. Yeah, and, and then, then you just then you, you make them yeah. you use their removal. You probably draw a card off it. You're, you're going to always get value of it. You're going to protect something at the bare minimum. And then my last card is the Chandra. She's just too good. Really goddamn good. Um, the first one I have on my best cards list is Yarok. Again, he's just <clears throat> the value, the colors, everything about him just makes me feel good inside. <laughs> um, and then we've got Golos Tireless Pilgrim. He's five colorless for a 3-5 legendary artifact creature scout. It says, when Golos Tireless Pilgrim enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card, put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So first and foremost, notably, that's not a basic. You can go get any good-ass land. Get Cabal's Coffer, Cabal Guy's Coffer, Cradle. Yeah. Everything. Not everything, but anything. Go get the <laughs> primetime combo. Yeah. Yeah. Get yourself a 2020 Indestructible Merit yep. Lodge. Yep. The, whatever the, <laughs> the big part on here, though, I think that makes him so good, as especially in EDH, uh, for two and Wooburg, so seven mana, but all five colors, exile the top three cards of your library. You may play them this turn without paying your mana cost. So this allows you to play five colors as a commander. Awesome. It also allows you to cheat out mana cost on up to three cards. All of the fatties. Yeah. yeah. And it says play instead of cast. So if you happen to hit lands, you're also getting your lands out. Um, I think he's just got a, a whole shitload of value. Yeah, I think that he's probably just like the raw power level strongest commander in the set just because five colors allows you to do anything and cheating of mana cost is the most yeah, powerful thing Yeah, it's legit do. just five color good stuff. Like you play <laughs> yeah. whatever you want and you'll just cast for free yeah. most of the time. Doesn't force you in Insurrection and Tooth and Nail yeah, all in the it's, same turn. It's kind of like Joda, but instead of playing five for each spell, you just play seven and get three, for get three, three. spells. Yeah. Now that might be garbage but but you also yeah. can get your lands out which yeah. i think is important because a lot get, of times those cheating spells you <laughs> you're like here we go you draw land and you're like Shit, yeah and I if you can nothing. get a lot of mana you can just keep doing this and play potentially play your whole deck if you have infinite mana yeah infinite mana i mean obviously but you have access to blue so you probably have some combo well and that's another thing that's cool about him is he doesn't pigeonhole you into a specific archetype you can like you said build it however you want yeah to. and another good thing is that he's a five drop and he comes out, gets you a land, so you have six land, and then you play land for turn on your next turn, you're, you're at seven, you do his ability. Yep. Um, my last one is Flood of Tears again. Uh, we obviously did these lists separate of each other, but that's just a really goddamn good card. Yeah, when I saw it was on Corey's top, I didn't put it, but, I mean, it's my top card for... Certainly could have made yeah, it. It's, yeah, we tried not to overlap, but, but there's just that there's certain cards that are just so good. All right, so my list, I have what I just put as maybe, but it's Chandra. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> she's too good. She really is, like... I'm excited to play her in basically any and every format that I can, that she's, you know, six mana, so she's a bit slow, but when she gets down, she's going to do work. Um, my next ones are Leyland of Anticipation, Leyland of the Void. We talked about those earlier. Giving yourself flash on everything. Drew just is hating so out. hard for the Leyland. They're so good. They are I mean, good. I'm an enchantment player. It's, yeah, it's what I do. And Leyland of Void, you know, yeah, potentially. Uh, just graveyard hate on enchantment. Love it. Uh, I've got Lil Grissy on here. The yeah, we talked Villas. about him. Yeah. He good. He's really good. And the last one I have on here, I don't necessarily know if it's one of the best cards of the set, but I think it has a lot of flexibility and enables decks that maybe aren't as good, and that's Bag of Holding. So for one mana, it's an artifact. Whenever you discard a card, exile that card from your graveyard. For two, tap, draw a card, then discard a card. So those play into each other really nicely. And then for four and tap, sacrifice Bag of Holding, return all cards exiled with Bag of Holding to their owner's hand. 
the potential on this card is yeah. astronomical. The Plus. fact that you get to loot rather than rummage is really important, right? So give this in every red deck, basically, in EDH, and they're going to be happy about it. Um, wheel decks are going to be happy about it because they're going to have this card, not you, so they get to keep the, the cards that they wheel if they yeah, want. Yeah, just imagine wheeling and getting multiple wheels in that hand and wheeling a couple of them away, but then you just pay for it, get them all back, and keep wheeling, and you always have a wheel in your hand. <laughs> Alternatively, you can actually kind of use this card as a bad uh, max hand size card. Oh, yeah. If you just overdraw and have to discard to hand size, then you're able to get these cards back that normally you wouldn't have access to. I think it just has a lot of random potential all over the place. Uh, so I thought it'd be worth mentioning. Yeah, I think the the strong thing to point out is that it's whenever you discard a card, exile that card. From another. So it's not cards that exiled with or discarded with this, with Bag of Holding. Right. But Anytime. on the, it's just all cards that you've discarded after you play Bag of Holding. But then the caveat is you sack it and they return all cards that are exiled with this. Yeah, and so it's a nice little card on there. Got the, the looting effect, which I think just put that in, in mono-red decks, red-white decks, mono-white decks. There's a lot that it can just help out, and then there's just a lot of decks that can abuse the shit out of it. Yeah, I think it's just a really good one-drop. Yeah. Helps out a lot. Plus, if you are like me and grew up with D&D &D &D. in your background. <laughs> oh, yeah. Flavor. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, that's so much yeah. like, How will they not have a bag of holding right? card? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was what drew me to it at first. I think it's interesting but... that they have a dragon in their bag of holding in the artwork. I mean, in D&D, &D you can't. If you put sharp objects, they can tear. Maybe it's a, I would a consider that dragon, dragon his gigantic <laughs> fucking teeth to be a sharp object. <laughs> it's not but, biting the bag. But either way, it's fucking tight. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Why not, why not throw your extra IPs into each other? All right. So that's our primer for Core 2020. Obviously, there's a lot more cards. There's a lot of good stuff all throughout the set, but we just sort of touched on cards that we think stand out or cards that we want to build around, just cards that have a lot of flavor. Hopefully, you guys are as excited as we are for pre-release upcoming. We're expecting this video to drop Thursday, day before pre-release. Hopefully, your shop locally is going to do a midnight. That's my favorite. Yeah, do remember, though, pre-releases can be on Friday this time. We yeah, didn't go over they're the, changing the huge uh, news break or whatever they had. Uh, There's a lot coming, but most of it irrelevant for players. It's really just kind of how shops interact with uh, WotC. Um, and some of them, you know, get the benefit of getting more product, which is going to be really nice. Uh, it allows them to change the formats up a little bit uh, based on what's around them, what the players are doing. Yeah, they can cater to their player base yeah. a little bit more. So that's really nice. There's those uh, cool promo packs and stuff. Yeah. But for us... You know, pre-release is kind of like our big thing that we do around shops. So we're really excited for that. So hopefully you guys get out there and pre-release your heart out, win some packs. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully we gave you enough information to, to go in, go forth confidently into your pre-release. Yeah, let us uh, know what you guys are excited for, what your polls are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what you guys want to build, what you end up building. We're totally okay with our Twitter feed being flooded with <laughs> cool pack polls. Just all pre-release. Just midnight the entire yeah, thing blows dude. up. So... We've been drinking on this episode, as we usually do. We just want to remind you guys to be responsible. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink if you're underage. Um, if you're drinking along with us, great. Let us know what you're drinking. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. And as always, have fun, but not too much. Mm -hmm.